Hey everyone, welcome to Digital Worship This Week. I'm Pastor John Corollis, and we are beginning our Lenten series, When Shadows Fall, Careful Steps with Jesus Toward the Cross. This season of the church here is significant and one that we repeat annually. Every single year we remember the uh, the journey that Jesus took through his earthly ministry toward the cross, recognizing that the significance of his time on earth, the mission that the Father sent him for, led him to the top of Calvary. And there, though uh, seemingly defeated by his enemies, by the devil, by death itself, Jesus paid the price for our sin, that we would be reconciled, that is, reconnected, redeemed, and uh, brought back into relationship with the God who made us. Of course, we know that three days later, he was raised from the dead, and in that moment was vindicated. The things that people had said about him, the things that he had taught himself, proven to be reliable and true. Therefore, we recognize this important season, this important part of our lives, trying to consider the depths of God's love for us, the very price, the highest price that could have been paid so that you and I might know the God who loves us, the God who made us, the God who knows us deeply and personally as well. So we'll be slowly, progressively making our way toward that same Good Friday event in, of course, total uh, recognition, total um, total focus on uh, Easter's empty tomb for Sunday. But in the meantime, in these in between moments in these Sundays before Holy Week, we take some careful time to consider the journey Jesus took toward the cross. Today we'll be looking at Mark chapter 1. It sets the tone for the entire gospel ministry of Jesus. What is this good news he brings? How is it brought forth? And what really is the claim that Jesus makes? We'll understand today that language is something that is not just a neutral part of our lives. It actually has active power. It actually does something. It's performative, especially when we use it in, in ways like confessing something, that is uh, aligning ourselves with a, a certain type of belief, confessing faith in someone. What does it mean to have a confession? It means that I am saying, I am taking a stance, I am aligning myself, I am committing to the claims of somebody else, to a certain fact, to a certain statement. Today we'll talk about what it means to confess Jesus as Lord and what happens when we don't confess and what it means that even our silence can have a certain element of action to it as well. And we'll be discussing that theme over the course of the next several weeks. But before that, let's just start with Mark chapter 1. Let's hear what the beginning of the gospel of Jesus sounds like and the mission that Jesus invites us to follow with him on. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There's a number of details that I would love to dive more deeply into with you in this particular text. Why does this reading start with the proclamation of God the Father at the moment of Jesus' baptism? What is that glorious anointing of Jesus for this holy task that he has been set apart for? We talk about the, the time of temptation where Jesus walked through trials that you and I face, similar opportunities he had to set aside 
God's will and pick up his own selfish desires. And yet through those moments of temptation, he proved himself faithful to God's plan, faithful to the will of his father, faithful to the mission of reconciling humanity back to God. But what we're going to hear today and focus on is that third part. After John was arrested, as I read through these verses, that really stuck out to me because why would Jesus wait until his cousin and his forebearer, the one that is announcing the beginning of his ministry, the one introducing the Messiah to the world, the one drawing crowds out to the bank of the Jordan River and announcing that Jesus is coming soon, the Messiah will be here. Why does Jesus wait until he is arrested? and put into prison under King Herod before he begins that ministry. It doesn't really make sense to us if we have this idea of Jesus as a conquering king who is simply going to come and eradicate all the evil and bad and bring about a season and a kingdom of goodness. And so Jesus waits until John's arrested and then he begins his ministry. He goes into Galilee and the surrounding areas and he brings a single unified message. Repent uh, and believe in the gospel. He says, the time is fulfilled. Now is the time. It is the moment you've been waiting for. The kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, the reign of the God who made you, the God who sent me, the God who is going to reveal himself to you through me, is nearby. His rule and reign is now. It is in your very midst. It is around you. It is uh, overwhelming you. Therefore, what should you do? Repent, that is, turn away from your selfish desires and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news that I am bringing you. What's that good news? Jesus' teachings fill four books of the New Testament, the four gospels with wisdom, with teaching, with divine understanding, with not only good moral teachings for us to use in our lives, but also the harsh reality that you and I don't measure up to God's standard. That you and I can never win God's attention through doing enough good things or by writing enough things in our life. Instead, Jesus' call is to believe. Jesus' call is to trust in his promises. Jesus' call is to answer the invitation he has extended. That you and I could simply believe in that good news, believe in that promise. What is the good news? The good news is God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus That whoever would believe in Jesus, believe in that good word made human, the incarnate promises of God, the very Son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, believing in him, no longer afraid of death, no longer fearing the, the sufferings that will no doubt face us in this life because our hope is centered on an eternity with God. Now, this is interesting because this is where it starts to hit home for us. We will walk through dark times. We will face difficulties. We are living in a world that is covered in darkness and we are people who participate in that darkness like we talked about last week. And yet, and yet even into that world, Jesus was sent. And he was sent that he might communicate to people like you and me, lost in the darkness, suffering by the, the evil that is out there in the world, that is evil, that, by the evil that is within our own hearts, and announce to us the fact that there is still hope. There is still a promise. God has not turned his back on us or given up on us. Instead, he has sent his very son to introduce himself to us. And he says, if you follow me, if you trust in my promises, if you trust in the love that I am extending to you, then you will know God forever. So this is, this is interesting. I think, you know, what is the challenge that Jesus places before us? He says, now that I'm here, and I'm standing before you, and I'm announcing God's promises to you, what will you do? Will you repent and believe, or will you reject? 
and discard? Will you repent and believe or will you continue to go your own way? Now, we don't take credit for the fact that Christ has rescued us. Of course not. He has stepped into this world and he has won us over by the price of his own life that he paid. But then he turns to us and says, repent and believe. Turn away from those old ways and trust in me. And we are left with an opportunity. What will we decide to do? What will our confession be? Because this is where the importance of language begins to hit home. Language is something that can do things. That's why I think the Father announces to the world at Jesus' baptism, this is my dearly loved Son. This is the one that God has sent. He makes it clear to all who are present. And then Jesus says, repent and believe. And you and I are given this opportunity to respond. Will we confess that Jesus is our Lord, that Jesus is our leader, that he is the one that that shapes our lives, whose will we follow? Or will we simply say, Jesus is great, but I'm still in charge of my life. Jesus is fine and he teaches some great things, but really, I don't want to give up the reins. I think I can have a better handle on things and live a more comfortable life if I stay in the driver's seat. That's the significance of what happens whether we confess Jesus as our Lord or not. And it's not just empty words, but when we speak those things, God is working in our hearts and we start to live those things as well. We, dis- we display the fact that Jesus rules us, that Jesus leads us. And this is why it flies in the face of our expectations. We want a Jesus that simply makes things easier for us, that makes our lives more comfortable, more convenient, that, that resolves all of our problems, that reconciles all of our relationships. But the truth is, Jesus never promises to make our life easy. He simply says, if you trust in me, if you believe in this good news, you will be with God forever. And that's the place where there will no longer be suffering or torment or fear. But in the meantime, you will be tested. You will be tried. There will be tribulation and trial. And that's why I think he waits until his cousin, John the Baptist, who announced that he was coming, is put into prison. It shatters our expectation for just some thin, hollow savior who's coming to make our lives easier. It destroys any kind of empty expectation we can have for a Jesus that just makes me feel better. And it helps me realize that Jesus actually has something much more important to do in this life. He is bringing people back into a relationship with their God. And the fact that he waits until it seems like he would never come is proof that rather than a Jesus who is simply trying to win us over by making us feel better, we have a Jesus who isn't afraid of the dark. He is willing to step into this difficult, dark world. He is willing to walk with us through the trials and sufferings that we will face and says, even in the midst of that, repent and believe. And he invites us to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my leader. So the question is, where will you stand? Not with some great pressure, not with some great manipulation on my part, but instead simply recognizing Jesus has called us to repent and believe. And through the power of the Spirit, we are given the opportunity to respond in such a way that we can say, with the disciples who followed him and the people in the church that have led up to our time, we can say along with them, Jesus is Lord. I pray that as you take up that confession this week and you remind yourself of what it means that you follow him, we'll dig more into what those specifics are next week. But in the meantime, reflect on that. Reflect on the invitation Jesus has given you to repent and to believe in his good news. The fact that he is in charge and that even in the midst of the darkest moments of our lives, the times when we just don't think we can see God at work, he is right there with us. May God bless you and keep you this week. May he encourage you in your faith. May you see his movements 
as he is walking with you. And we'll see you next time. Have a great week.